Look, it's been a pretty exciting week for tax practitioners and it's not really often that we can say that. Exciting for tax practitioners, confusing for everyone else. So the weirdest week really for the government hasn't it been? They launch a major tax report, then the Prime Minister lines up a speech on the upcoming budget telling us, well, there's nothing to see here, there are no frills and there'll be no new taxes. Revenue Minister, very happy to unveil this analysis of who is paying what. I'm thinking, though, it almost seemed to raise more questions than it answered. We're talking here about um, capital gains. We're talking about on-paper profits from an increase in the value of an asset for the most part. Uh, it, it, yes, in large... OK, and, which and, is and, imaginary and, and, money. Well, no, no, uh, it's not. It's income. You know, if you, but it's if you, not. Welcome to The Detail. I'm Alexia Russell, and today we're talking about tax after an IRD report that's got everyone's back up about how much of it the rich don't pay. It's confirmed that if you're, you know, if you're wealthy, there are a lot of ways that you can avoid paying what most people would regard as your fair share of taxes, lots of ways of minimising your contribution to the collective pool. This is a major wake-up call for the, the public about the unfairness of the taxation system. But didn't answer any questions on how to solve those inequities. The report really leaves a question around what now. Janae Tripsharani is the Herald's Wellington business editor. She's written about the fallout from IRD's High Wealth Individuals Research Project, which highlights a disparity that makes your average hardworking Kiwi feel like they're being duped. But she says it also shows just how complex it would be to get the uber-rich to pay more tax. First, though, how did the report come about? The Revenue Minister, David Parker, commissioned it a couple of years ago. He gave the Inland Revenue special powers to go and get information from the country's wealthiest families. So the IRD went to 311 families and really dug into their, their financial affairs more so than uh, the Household Economic Survey. So he felt there was a real gap in this area? He did. And I mean, David Parker, it's uh, no secret that this is a real uh, pet issue of his. He does a lot of reading around this. There's a bit of a joke around Parliament that he always uh, references Thomas Piketty, who uh, has written a lot about this topic. <laughs> He's actually given me a tax book before to read uh, for, you know, be, bit of be, be, yeah, a bit of homework, a bit of bedtime <laughs> reading, which I hate to admit I haven't got to just yet. <laughs> So David Parker is of the view that the tax system is not fair and he would like to make it fair and I think if he had his way he would but there's always that view to balance with politics and, and you know the politics of being re-elected. Because I mean the tax system is so complex isn't it that it's just not as simple as introducing a capital gains tax. No, it isn't. And the thing is, is the question is around fairness. Is that what's fair for one person might be different to what's fair for someone else. And so tax is inherently uh, values-based and it is not clear-cut. So you could say, well, just hand, hand this issue off to some policy experts, but that does not solve the issue because while you might come up with a beautiful policy that is uh, efficient and is simplistic and works, it might not be uh, considered fair by, by some people. And that issue of fairness depends on what political hue you are. 
doesn't Exa- it? Exactly, it does. And I suppose what phase of life you're in, your political hue. And also when you talk about tax, you have to think about what are you trying to achieve? Are you trying to achieve more fairness? Are you trying to generate more revenue? So I think each time we talk about tax, we have to think about what the outcome is. Are we trying to incentivize certain behaviours? You know, we have taxes around the environment, for example. You know, you have to pay for your mission. So that's a tax to incentivize certain behaviour. So I think a key place to start when you talk about uh, making potential changes to the system is, is what's the objective? What are you trying to achieve? I feel like the narrative around this release has been that the rich don't pay their fair share. A report that outlined the collective wealth of our wealthiest citizens totals $85 billion. And to make matters worse, these people pay significantly less tax than your everyday New Zealander. Now, just to be clear, this is not true. The average amount of tax in dollar terms paid by the wealthy families in this survey in 2018 was $642,000, which I suspect is a bit more than you or I pay. Here's Act's David Seymour on that. The top 2% of taxpayers pay 9% of all taxes. The top 23% of taxpayers pay 78% of all taxes. Uh, The idea that somehow people at the top end of the income scale are being undertaxed simply isn't borne out. David Parker's press release on the report makes constant use of the word effective, by which he means that the wealthy get all this income that they legally don't have to pay tax on, but if that income is included, then effectively their tax rate drops down to just 8.9%. The press release goes on to say that this work was not about attacking the rich, but effectively, it kind of was. Presumably, some people who were surveyed here by the Inland Revenue would say, well, they might feel targeted. You know, they they were legally obliged to really open the books on their financial affairs. They might think it's unfair. They might think it's fine. I suspect that... uh, a lot of regular people on the street would probably think it's fair (laughs) in the the eye of the beholder. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, we all know the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, as the song goes. And, you know, the wealthy do leverage more wealth off what they have. Mm. I would not know if you would, A, want to stop that or could stop that. Yeah, look, I mean... That is exactly the thing. You need money to make money. And so the more you have in assets, those assets might increase in value through, uh, you know, your own hard work. You might uh, grow your business, invest, take risk. That's awesome. That's what the country needs, employ more people. Your assets might also increase in value because the Reserve Bank slashes interest rates and that sees asset prices inflate. That is an intervention made in the market that sees asset prices increase that increases your wealth. And of course, if you have more money, if, if your assets are worth more, you can leverage off that. You can borrow more. You've got, you've got more to secure the debt against. So that helps you, you grow your, your wealth as well. One of the other narratives from this is that the government is trying to tax or calculate imaginary money. How can you tax imaginary income? Well, one, it's not imaginary income. That a capital gain, for example, if your house that you own keeps growing in value, is not real until you realise that gain, until you sell that house. It's 
that you know, I guess it's part of the complexity. Exactly, and that's where a lot of the, um, the this report that the Inland Revenue has done really focuses on that capital gains, be it realised gains that you get the money when you sell the asset, or unrealised gains where you bought the house and you bought the business and it's increased in value, but you haven't sold it. So those are just paper gains. You know, your your worth on paper has increased in value. So typically. It's easier to measure something that is realised, that you've sold. It's harder to measure when it's on paper because it's a matter of valuing what that asset's worth and, and you know, it's, if it's part of a, a volatile market, that might change and so on. So, so that's why I think this report is quite valuable because it looks at both. It doesn't look, at, though, at what people do with those gains. I mean, it doesn't say, OK, well, he sold this, bought himself a yacht and took a year off and went to Europe. It doesn't look at he sold this, he used it to buy a factory, he now employs 40 people manufacturing this, increasing the country's wealth. You'd have to really drill down into the nitty-gritty of what someone is doing to look at to taxing them fairly, wouldn't you? Yeah, you do. And and once again, it comes back to what you're trying to achieve from that and, and whether you think the system is unfair and you think that these super wealthy people should be contributing more. For example, we have the Cyclone Gabriel, which might cost about $14 billion to pay for the roads and the infrastructure and so on. So how are we going to split that cost? Who's going to pay for that? And people might turn to these people and say, well, actually, they should be paying a bit more. But some of the uber wealthy will say, well, we uh, have taken risks. We've made all these sacrifices for our family, you know, with our families, with our spare time. Uh, We've worked super hard. We employ all these people. We make New Zealand a better place. So why are you targeting us? So this is where those values, it comes back to those values. And, I mean, for me, I look at this and, and I also think about the practicality. So if you... Uh, implement a tax change, you can't just target it at these 311 wealthy families. Everyone would be affected. It's very hard to, to really target it. So, you know, if we have a capital gains tax, is that what we want for all of us? So we're looking at unintended consequences of tax, of tinkering with the tax system. Yes. The question, if we had a capital gains tax, would be what would we include in it? So uh, David Parker has already said the family home wouldn't be included. So if you bought and sold your family home and made some money off that, that wouldn't be taxed. But an investment property would. So how do you define that? If I only own one home... Uh, but I don't live in it, I rent it out because I have to move somewhere for work or something, that's an investment property, so if I sell that, I pay tax on it. Or if I start a business and I grow it and I sell the business for you know and, and make a gain there, then, then that might be taxed. So it's a matter of uh, defining the, the parameters around, I guess, what, what would be included. But a capital gains tax appears to be off the cards. We found out this week things that um, are not going to be happening at least this term, and that's um, no capital gains tax, no wealth tax, and no cyclone levy. Something to remember here, I think people get quite heightened when they talk about a capital gains tax, but when it comes to investment property, we already effectively have a capital gains tax in the Brightline test. So that means if you buy and sell an investment property within 10 years, you have to pay tax on the gains. So the the tax rate applied to the Brightline test is your marginal uh, income tax rate. So that could be as high as 39%. 
But if we were to have a capital gains tax, presumably that rate would be lower, for example, at 15 or 20%. So I think people get a bit excited when they hear capital gains tax, your average person does, but what they might not realise is that we currently effectively have one just on investment property. And this was brought in under a national-led government at two years and extended under the Labour-led one. So it's just good to get a bit of clarity around there. The capital gains tax for a regular person might not sound as might not be as scary as it sounds. Explain switch taxes to me. We've been hearing about switch taxes. Yeah, I think uh, often politicians talk about a tax switch. So if the goal is to make the system fairer rather than to generate more revenue, you might want to tax a wee bit more here and tax a wee bit less there. And I think that's where the debate currently is. Where it's sort of pointing to is, well, these uber-wealthy people make a lot from capital gains, be it realised or unrealised, what's a way of potentially taxing capital gains more? But then, you know, should we offset that against a cut somewhere else? And the area that there's a lot of debate around at the moment is those uh, income tax brackets. So at the moment, you know, you might pay 10.5% tax on the first $14,000 you earn, and then 17.5% on the next fourteen to 48000 and so on and so on. So there are a few different brackets. The problem is, is that those brackets haven't been changed in years, and because we now have inflation, you're finding uh, medium, average income people actually paying quite high tax rates on parts of their income. You know, they might be paying 30% on, on a part of their, their income. So if you were to change some of these brackets, which there seems to be a lot of support for at the moment, this is something the National Party supports. One of the other consequences of skyrocketing inflation is that even as families can afford less and less, their nominal income increases and so income tax goes up as well. And Labor is using inflation essentially as another tax grab by stealth. And we've got the perverse situation where someone now on the average wage in New Zealand has a marginal tax rate of 33%. If you were to change that, that would mean the government gets less money. So how does it make up for that? It might need to make up for it somewhere else. And the question is where might it make up that you know lost revenue? Maybe through taxing capital gains. I mean, we don't know if that's what it would do, but that is an option. Right. I would have thought that in the interest of being fairer to low-income people, that raising tax thresholds and even introducing a tax-free threshold would have been Right in Labour's Balwick. So why is National coming up with it? Well, that is a really good point. And I think a lot of people might say, well, why don't we have a a tax-free threshold where you pay no tax on the first $10,000 you earn or something like that? I feel like that is a great idea. Everyone would agree that that is an, an awesome idea. The problem is, is that it brings in so much revenue, it's very expensive. So... Because so many people pay tax on you know wages and salaries, that changes to those brackets can be worth quite a lot. So if you were to change them, then would you need a more heavy-handed approach somewhere else in the tax system to recoup that? And you know New Zealand does face a lot of long-term challenges where we do need revenue. We have an aging population. Uh, you know the the cost of healthcare of superannuation are massive we have an infrastructure deficit. So, you know, whilst I think it's good not to get too uh, panicked about government debt uh, because, you know, we can service that with, with the economy growing, there is an argument that we do need to think long-term, think about our future as well. One of the interesting things I found about this IRD report on, on the wealthy New Zealanders is that in the lead-up to its release, we saw a slew of reports being released by 
let's say, interested parties proving, in inverted commas, that the wealthy didn't pay more tax. Now, who's right? Well, that was very interesting that the week before this IRD report came out, we had a report from uh, Oliver Shaw, which is a small tax consultancy. They got another consultancy to do a massive report. It was really extensive and would have no doubt costed a lot to, to do. And we also had the Chartered Accountants Australia New Zealand Industry Group come out and, and warn that you know there might be some issues looking at the IRD report next to the Treasury one and some issues around the methodology and the fact that the time period captured was a period of huge gains, you know, with interest rates being very low. And they try to point out some of the differences between income that's taxed and not. And anyway, they, they basically just try to provide some context. That's, I guess you'd call it if you're being generous. If you're being ungenerous, <laughs> you'd say they were lobbying very strongly with a lot of resource on behalf of their wealthy clients uh, before the report even came out, before we even know what policy the Labour Party is taking to the election. Before we actually have proper details around what Nationals tax policy is in terms of the timing of the changes it wants to make and so on, and before the budget. So I thought that was definitely interesting and just highlights how this debate gets so heated and there are so many vested interests and the money is big and, you know, if if there is to be a change, the lobbying is just going to be rabid from all Full sides. On. Yeah. <laughs> I I was interested though in one of the I th- one criticism I thought was possibly valid and that is we have been through extraordinary times in the last 5 years in terms of, you know, mega inflation of the housing stock and the pandemic. So is some of that criticism valid? Yeah, look, I thought it was interesting that that was the criticism the National Party turned to when this report came out because they couldn't come out and say oh, well, you know, that's all good that these rich people are paying effectively less tax on all their income than you and I, because that would go down like a lead balloon because most people <laughs> probably look at those <laughs> figures and feel really duped, you know, hardworking Kiwis yeah. paying more tax. So it was an interesting position the National Party was in. So instead of having a go there, they said, well, actually, under this government, we've seen huge asset price inflation. They said this government's been incredibly unfair on working New Zealanders because they've actually mismanaged the economy, created inflation and caused huge amounts of pain and suffering. And, you know, that, that's why we have these wealthy people getting even more wealthy. And, you know, that is a fair point. The low interest rate environment we've had over the past decade or so until recently has seen asset values, property, land, shares, everything increase hugely in value. That is central banks around the world trying to pump up economies, trying to stimulate demand by slashing interest rates. What that does is increases asset values. And that leads us to a much broader debate, I guess, around uh, the use of monetary policy, the use of interest rates in stimulating economies and now in, in cooling things right back down. It targets those asset values. And, you know, the, the rich people will say, well, now our asset values are plummeting. And that's, that is a fair point too. What now, Janae? I think all eyes now are on the the policy that Labour is going to create going into the election. It'll no doubt be testing the mood of the public on the back of this report, seeing how it lands. I really don't think the government will make any changes before the election 
that would just upset the apple cart unnecessarily and it would mean that something would get rammed through really quickly. The issue with, I think, Nationals tax policy is the timing because we're in an inflationary environment, so it needs to answer the question of whether it effectively wants to put more money into the economy by cutting taxes at the moment when we have inflation. That could make the problem worse. So Mm. I think timing is the issue I'm looking at around Nationals policy. Do you think the IRD report release was framed as we need to tax the rich or have people read into it that the rich aren't paying enough because everyone hates rich people? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, look, I mean, yeah, that is a good question. And that's been the thing is that they release this report and then go, oh, and now what? And what now? And it creates this big vacuum that everyone is filling with speculation. Even the fact that we're talking about a capital gains tax. Labor hasn't said anything about a capital gains tax. So it's just all now lots of speculation. And um, I think it's quite an interesting political question that, that Labor has to, that's obviously asked itself, is it happy to create that vacuum? And it was interesting that uh, Prime Minister Chris Hipkins, the day after this report was released, did a speech, and I think the timing was well thought out, and he came out and said... The government will not be introducing any major new taxes, like a wealth tax or a capital gains tax, in this budget. We set out our tax policy at the last election, and that is what we're sticking to. We will not be taxing the family home, and... Labor's yet to release its tax policy. So they're sort of putting it out there and then kind of shutting it down the next day. Presumably they'll be focus grouping this and seeing what the public response is. As I said before, I think a lot of people would agree that, you know, they're finding themselves in income tax brackets that are quite high because of inflation and they might want that changed. But if you change that, where do you get more tax revenue from. Mm. So it's a really good question, and I think it's a great time to have this debate. Let's talk about where you do get that other tax revenue from, because, I mean, the government has done a couple of little things. You know, they've made international businesses pay GST. What else could the government eke money out of? So I think those changes are fairly minor from the top of my head in terms of the revenue that they bring in. Another really actually significant change that this government made was to introduce an interest limitation rule. That means property investors can no longer offset interest as an expense against their income. And that that was one of the big things that property investors, when it came in, cited as for ditching their housing stock, wasn't it? Yeah, and actually this is a really big change, and Labor managed to get this and fairly quietly in 2021 when the housing market was going off because it is quite confusing. You know, you say interest limitation rule and people's eyes glaze over and they don't understand it. But if you are a property investor, this is massive because your interest bill is now very large because interest rates are so high. So if you can't write off that interest bill, you know, you might be paying $20,000 a year in interest for your mortgage. If you can't write that off as an expense alongside other things you can write off as an expense when you come to pay tax, that is significant and that affects your cash flow. So that means, you know, if you're a property investor who's kind of just clinging on, you might have lots of debt, that'll affect you a lot. Well, And it'll affect your renters, presumably they're going to put the prices up. Well, that is the argument that the National Party makes, that you that they'll try to recoup that from somewhere, they're, they're our tenants. I actually asked the IRD recently, can they tell tell me how much revenue has been created through this? But it's a bit too soon to say this rule's being phased in 
and um, we'll probably see within the next few years how much revenue that actually creates. It's amazing how much tax is interconnected with so many other aspects of our economic yeah. life. No, not our lives. Well, it is, and it, that's the thing. It's a values-based thing. It affects us a lot. And the interesting thing at the moment is that we've been through a period of the economy being totally turned on its head. The COVID period was absolutely extraordinary in terms of the amount of monetary and fiscal stimulus. That's the absolute slashing of interest rates, the amount of money the government poured into the economy, closed the borders, you know, did all these things to, to keep us uh, safe and, uh, you know, try to limit the amount of damage that the virus did. But it, but it has put so much off kilter. So it is interesting coming through that now. We've got high inflation, high interest rates. We have to do a lot of work to get things back to equilibrium. We haven't yet touched on GST, death or inheritance taxes, land bankers, mega philanthropy, or where some of the super rich stash their cash so the tax man can't find it. That is a whole nother issue. Some of these uh, (laughs) tax-free havens is an absolute uh, Pandora's box. But that's enough for today. I'm Alexia Russell. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Sarah Robson. Thanks to the Herald's Wellington business editor, Janae Tibshirani. Ka kite anō.